and good evening to episode 205 of the HHH Racing Podcast. I'm your proud host, Howard Kravitz. Thanks for joining us on what's going to be a fantastic night as we are going to improve your betting. I guarantee it, especially when it comes to live money betting structure. We're going to be going in detail in the BCBC with three. That's right, the last three former BCB, well, current and former BCBC champions. It's going to be a fantastic show. I'm going to talk a little bit about my plays as well, um, all the plays that have been made public. But in general, talk about betting live money contests and betting in general uh, and make your money more useful. Please make sure you subscribe on the bottom right-hand side of the screen. We have a lot of people that watch, a lot of people that watch. But I also know for a fact that a bunch of you are not subscribing. It costs no money. If you're not familiar with subscribing on YouTube, all that does is it tells YouTube that this is a show that others who enjoy horse racing should watch. So please hit that subscribe button. We greatly appreciate that. Also hit that notification bell so you know when new content will arrive. And then also smash that like button. Again, that will tell YouTube to tell other people who are in, in like sports or horse racing to check out our podcast. We'd really appreciate it. You can see on my name tag at h kravitz there uh you can follow me on twitter and of course on the bottom of the screen uh is my email h kravitz horse at gmail.com we'd really appreciate that also uh of course you can listen on spotify apple podcast and anchor we've had unbelievable response during the breeders cup really appreciate it we have a lot of plenty of great shows coming up including an exciting show also this uh, Thursday as well. I can't wait to talk about uh, that one. Um, so that's going to be very exciting because Thursday's show, let me go ahead and take uh, this banner off the screen here because I think I yeah, mispronounced, <laughs> misspelled Marshall's name on there. Sorry about that, Marshall. Um, Thursday's show. I, as excited as I am about this show, Thursday's show, whoa, we're going to be talking about Flightline. How great is Flightline? Very simple. But we're going to deep dive into his PPs, talk about many other great horses. And to help do that, we have two fantastic journalists that are known throughout the country. Some of the best journalists in the country. Uh, we, we're going to have Tom Law from the Saratoga Special and recently retired veteran journalist from the DRF, Jay Privman, along with our entire panel, will be here this Thursday to deep dive about Flightline and really, how good was Flyline, if you want to compare him to the greats? Because we've heard some people say he's better than Secretariat. He's better than Seattle Slough. Not so fast. <laughs> we're going to deep dive and take a, take a look at that. So um, it's going to be very exciting. All right. Uh, we got a few quick comments before I bring on my guests. We got a lot of people watching. We have Christine Race is here saying hello to the handicappers. We've got Dean G. Hello, Dean. Sean Kane is back. Sean, again. Thanks for joining the show. I had a pleasure of meeting him uh, at the Breeders' Cup. I believe he's from Lexington, if I remember correctly. Nick Feldman, the bourbon is poured, the earbuds are in. Sounds like a, a, a Drew Coney, right up Drew Coney's alley with the bourbon and the earbuds. So I, I don't know if Drew is, is sober yet from a, two week, a week and a half. We'll find out. Um, anyway, I think that is pretty much going to go ahead and cover it. So let's go ahead and bring on my fantastic panel tonight. I'm really excited they all could join me uh, because we have a lot to talk about, um, especially in regards to the BCBC. 
everyone should take out your paper, take out your pencils, pens, whatever. I know you can watch this as a replay, but I think we have some really exciting things we're going to talk about. So let's go in order from oldest to newest BCPC champion. How about that? First, the 2020 BCBC champion, Mr. Marshall Graham. The 2021 BCBC champion, Matt Miller. And the most recent, 2022 BC champion and business manager, Grand Money Media, which is now a side note to all this, Mr. Drew Cotney. Guys, champs, how are we doing tonight? All good. 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 Thanks for joining me. Drew, has your drone come down at all? I mean, tell us what it's been the last week and a half has been like. No, it, it, it hasn't. Uh, focusing on the full-time gig is, is a hard thing at this point. So <clears throat> slowly but surely getting uh, getting back down to earth. And um, it's, it's good to do this discussion that we're going to do today because it kind of highlights and gets your ego in check of how many things had to go right and then figure out how do how do you make less things have to go right to do the scores that uh the three of us on the on the screen have done in past so reducing probability or increasing your probability and reducing risk so um my ego's back in check to a degree uh perfect strategy perfect results and i'm ready to to dive into this uh last question for you specifically drew then we're guys we're gonna get into many things uh has the check come yet drew and if it has, how did it feel? <laughs> well, check one has come, but uh, just just like the business dealings at ITM, we're, we're chasing down checks to figure out where they went. So <laughs> it's a little, there's a couple more zeros on that one. So yeah, uh, well, but, it's similar to, I think the check that Marshall gets in Rhodes College, I think, or or maybe maybe it's the dollar amount Marshall that you're paying in tuition in Notre Dame. Is that is it for, for someone in your family? <laughs> Which one's closer? <laughs> well, <laughs> Yeah, I did. I don't. I don't know either of them, right? So yeah, absolutely. Uh, right. Um, so, guys, we have several topics we're going to be talking about, and we have a gr- great audience already listening today. I'm sure we're going to get more here as we go along. If you're watching live, if you have any questions, we have three of the past BCBC champions right here. If you have any questions about uh, strategy, not even necessarily about handicapping, this is really not a handicapping show. This is really more a show about betting per se. So, any questions on how your betting dollar can go further? This is a great chance. This evergreen content is content that we can show a year, two years, five years from now. Please make sure you ask questions in the chat. Guys, here's my first question. Marshall, I'm going to ask you uh, this first question. And by the way, Marshall, great job with uh, In the Money and PTF on that show. I want to compliment you. For those of you who do not know what I'm speaking of, go to In the Money Media because Marshall and PTF had a great show. Um, similar to what we're doing, but not exactly the same. My first question for you, Marshall, is uh, there were a bunch of people in the BCBC who did not even bet all of their money and really had no intention on winning. So I guess my first question to all of you, but specifically to Marshall, is for those people out there that want to try to qualify for a contest, is it worth qualifying for a contest that you have no plan on betting the actual dollar amount you get? In other words, everyone got 7500 right, for this to bet on. If you're not planning on betting 7500 is it worth spending the hundreds of dollars, thousand dollars to even get into the tournament in the first place? Yeah, I wonder what the logic was for some of these people. There were 58 people who didn't recycle their money, and there were plenty of others who basically stopped betting uh, once they reach a certain point. So never any sort of intention of hitting the board. I do wonder if some of these, some of these 
players who again likely qualified online were going to would be more aggressive or, or play more if they started you know hitting a few races and then you know found themselves potentially hitting the board but i mean it took thirty eight thousand dollars to um uh to sorry it, it it was not an insignificant amount of money to hit the board in this contest right so uh um uh, it took $32,000 to finish 20th. It took $36,000 to win a BCBC seat. So if you're not – to win NHC seat. So if you're not – you know, if you get the shakes betting $1,000, yeah, you're just better off selling your seat if you won. The seats – you know, I know it's a $7,500 bankroll, but it's worth – you know, it's worth nearly ten grand on the secondary market. So when I when I won the BC, BC in uh, 2020, I, I, you know, I paid four grand for half a ticket. I made the guy whole once I won. And so you can sell it for, you know, again, more money than the bankroll is. So I do I do think that the sort of means of qualification uh, put some people in this tournament who, you know, uh, just uh, just aren't aren't really prepared to sort of take the swings necessary to I'd say even hit the board. I mean, it's one thing to to kind of do what Drew did and in, in, in shove in ninety seven grand. It's another thing to put yourself in a position even to, you know, like. $32,000 to finish 20th. I mean, that's, you know, that's uh, what five, you know, that's nearly almost it's four, four times bankroll. I mean, that's still a you know pretty good day when it comes right down to it. Uh, Matt, I know you have some very strong opinions tonight that you're going to be sharing and that's why we like to have it on the show. Anything you want to piggyback off of what Marshall just said? Yeah. I mean, so in addition to those players that didn't cycle through just their, their minimum bankroll, I mean, I did a walk through the entirety of the field, and my estimate is that it was about 25% that played with no intention of recognizing that they were in a tournament or a competition of any kind, uh, that there was a leaderboard of any kind. These were people just playing like an ordinary day. I I don't want to sound too critical. it might be worth it to some people for the $2,500 contribution they're making to the prize pool, right? The three of us, thank you very much for those. Uh, It may be to them that the trip is worth it, that the insider access and the cool seats and all that, um, that it's worth it. And I don't know that I would disagree. It's a really fun time, but I'd still say, you know, once you're in it, um, you might as well be in it. Otherwise, like Marshall said, I, these people, in my opinion, should be selling their seats and finding something of a lower budget where it isn't as difficult to play the right way. Uh, Marshall, by the way, playing Hollywood Squares. Where, where do you want to be, Marshall? <laughs> yeah, we, I wanted to rotate right there. Sorry well, about that's that. That's cool. We, we can keep it interesting. Uh, Drew, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and bring up the prize pool. I was actually going to bring it up later, but I think based on this first topic, I think it's a good idea to bring it up now. Listen, everyone, Drew, is in a different mindset, right? Everyone, this is a tight economy we're all living in right now. Um, I'm going to make this a little, actually, I don't know if I can make it bigger. I think we all, yeah, I can make it a little bigger. Um, everyone is playing for different amounts. Everyone's happy with different dollar amounts, right, Drew? I mean, so it's hard for us to criticize, you know, what people want to do. Um, the, the top 15 did pay the NHC. And you can see if you finish in 20th, that's 11400 Now, look. Depending on who you are and what your life is like and whatever, what's wrong with $11,400, right? I mean, that could buy someone a car that could change, I don't know about changing someone's life, but that could pay for 
a lot of you know tuition bills. I mean, so I, I don't want to be too critical, but then again, you know, some of the plays, and we're going to get in details into the plays. Some of the plays you had to sort of scratch your head a little bit, thinking, you know, what were people thinking there at the end of the at the end of the contest? Well, I'll I'll jump in and I'll get a little a little rougher. <laughs> so I'll say, you know, twenty five percent of this field in my view, had no business being there and no intention of playing at all. I would say another 25%. This is just horrible sounding and I'm sorry. You could, in my opinion, you could literally hand them a list of the winners. And I don't think they would win the tournament, even with in advance, the list of the winners. Look at their- Matt Miller, fire it tonight. I love it. So that, that, in my opinion, that eliminates about half of the field immediately. And so between the people yeah. that didn't try and the people that wouldn't know what to do if you told them what to do. And so, okay, you're still left with half of the tournament field that's tough. You know, I, I would estimate probably another, you know, of the remaining half, I'd say half made what I would put in the, I'd call it the orders, pretty severe betting mistakes severe if they're being honest and i don't want to get too mean about individual names but as you go through things and look at what people did and how much money they left themselves uh how hard they chose to press certain things but not others i mean you realize quickly that while an awful lot has to go right for someone to win there's an awful lot of people that just immediately remove themselves from contention. So on some level, this thing is hard. And on some level, it's a lot easier than you think. Drew, there's a pretty big jump. I mean, I'd say the 15th is a big deal. A lot of people might want to go to Vegas for the NHC. I mean, it's, you don't know what you need, though. That's the tricky part. Now, even you, I mean, you, you were sure what you're going to do at the end. Again, we'll, we'll talk about your plays later. But, I mean, to get to the 15th is a big difference to 16th. You get squad for the NHC. The big money jump doesn't really get into like the top five or six when you go from like 79 to 102. I mean, what's the difference between 16th to 20th? Like literally $2,000. Like who cares at that point? Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, th I think this is a microcosm of um, pool markets in general. And we just happen to get to see what everyone's intentions were. And I, I find it really interesting because, you know, Matt, Matt, whoop, sorry, my dog just had a, a loud, loud burp for the rest oh, I'm of the sorry. Go ahead. So, but, but, but intentions, right? We, we on the podcast talk about this all the time on In the Money is what is your end goal uh, in the pool that you're playing for? And if you're playing in a pick four, I, I bet you we would see a lot of the same trends here of over 25% of the, market's never going to make money and a very, very slim is going to. And I think the same applies for this contest. The more I think about it is right. Some people are there to make money and make business decisions. Um, that was not my target it was not a business decision, but a competitive decision to win and to hit a number. Um, so I was in that minority. I think there were some that were trying to make money as we will talk about. And, and then I think there's the, the group that's there for, they qualify. They're there to be a part of it. And then I think there's another group that's like, this is a great way to experience the Breeders' Cup. You get to be amongst the best of the best. You get a network if you're smart. You shake hands with people and say, hey, I'm new here. Uh, I, I think there's a lot of ways to go. And I think this is a microcosm of the markets that we deal with on a day-to-day -day basis with our exacta boxers and uh, the all button on the trifecta. No, not I mean, in every spot. 
But anyway, we'll, we'll talk about we'll talk about that. And I'm going to be – I haven't really talked publicly, you guys, about my plays at all uh, in detail. <laughs> at the end of the show, I'm going to talk a little bit about my plays. And interestingly enough, guys, uh, I did better last year in terms of actually finishing with 10,000. But I actually thought I played much better this year. I just didn't handicap as well this year. And uh, I know Matt agrees. And, and Drew, I think you know some of my plays. So I see, Matt, you're shaking your head already. I was much more aggressive this year. And I really have no problem with most of the plays I made. It just didn't work out uh, for me. Speaking of aggression, Marshall, next topic. There were a lot of people that were aggressive early in this tournament. My, uh, me included, I had two entries. I lost one of my entries on Friday. I believe Matt also lost one of his entries on Friday. I had, I had uh, we talked about this before the Breeders' Cup, and I had Matt Bernier uh, on my show, and we talked about the thought that in this year in particular with – on, on Friday, especially with Cave Rock, um, that there will be a lot of people that might be very aggressive and that that was a bit risky. I want to play a, a clip, if you, if you guys wouldn't mind here. This is a one-minute clip, guys, of Matt Bernier on my show here on, on the HH Racing Podcast about a week and a half before the Breeders' Cup. And the question I asked him was basically that. How aggressive do you think people will be with Cave Rock, etc., early and because of all these big favorites, um, how do you feel about that particular strategy? So I'm going to bring on right now, this is about a one-minute clip from Matt Bernier. And Marshall, we're going to have you uh, talk first about what Matt said here as I bring up on the screen. And again, here's Matt Bernier about a week and a half before the BCBC with sound. I think there are going to be so many people keying in on very logical horses this year specifically in doubles and saying, look, I'm going to push hard. Let's say, let's just use your, your starting bankroll of 75 into a horse like cave rock and say, I'm going to play a $7,500 or a, you know, a 3250 double of two horses in the race prior into cave rock. Well, in my head, yeah, I get it. You're going to build a little bit of bankroll. Maybe you're going to end up with more people that have, moved ahead or moved up from that 7,500, but haven't blown the top off the thing. But there's going to be a few of those horses that don't win. That maybe you or I or any of the guys here or anybody listening, maybe we don't expect them not to fire. But a few of them will not win. And part of me thinks that the amount of people that are going to push hard in these spots, I mean, stating the obvious, boy, you better not be wrong. Uh, Marshall, your thoughts on what Matt said? As it turned out, he was exactly right. There are a lot of people that were aggressive, and a lot of those big favorites did not win. Does that mean the strategy was incorrect, though? I think it's well, a bigger question. Are we sure that there were – I mean, I don't know. I, I, I've not actually looked at how many people were out on day one versus previous day ones. So, I, I you know, I don't have any sure. – I, I don't know whether that's actually the case or not. I mean, obviously – you know, I mean, Jonathan, you know, called a shot, went on a radio show, said he was going to bet a big double. Um, you know, it's funny. I, I would have thought he would have heard his price and that the parlay would have paid more than the double itself, but the double still played better than the parlay. I do wonder to what extent Cave Rock being two to five didn't sway people away from him. I, I don't, I thought, I don't think people thought he would be as short as, I mean, he was as short as Flightline, right? Flightline was, 0.44 to one and cave rock was 0.47 to one. So I don't, I think that may have deterred people. Uh, but, you know, to answer your question, I, I don't, I, I have no clue. I mean, I don't, I, I don't, I don't, 
sort of gleaning through it, it doesn't seem to me like it was a race that destroyed as many people as some of the races on Saturday. I, I did f- feel like Golden Pal was a race that I saw a lot of people, you know, get bounced on. Um, so, uh, so again, I, I don't know the answer to that question. Uh, Matt, you are a, a pretty aggressive player in general, even though you'd admit you're a bit risk averse in, in real life, which is sort of the irony about the whole thing. Um, I know you were aggressive on Friday. I was aggressive Friday, mainly because I had two entries and I felt like I, I needed to. Plus, I really felt like Cave Rock was going to be very tough. What's your general thoughts about being aggressive early if you have horses you really like in this tournament, whether they're two to five or eight to five? I'm going to sound like a broken record from last year. It's a function of what the tournament gives you, what the day gives you. In my opinion, the right play in this tournament was going to be a massive bet at the end on flight line. And you have to work your way backwards from there. You know, it's an imaginary line between day one and two. You know, other than the fact that you have certain minimums for these and certain minimums for those, it's an imaginary line. It's just a dinner break. And so I don't, I don't care what race number it happens in, you know, for me, I am one of those that prefers to play the breeders cup races versus the undercard. I'm always amazed when people are playing the maidens or other things on breeders cup day, but each to their own. But for me, cave rack, uh, I loved the race before I shoved, I think it was maybe a $6,700 double into Cave Rock that paid, I think, 37000 That was, for me, going to be the first of two moves leading into flight line. And I felt terrific with 37 k into a two-to-five shot. I, you know, and honestly, I'm not that upset about the way the race was run. I know people talk about two-year-olds and all that. He, he got pressed kind of hard for the lead and just didn't have enough gas at the end. I mean, I don't think that was the most unpredictable baby race I've ever seen. That was, yeah, it just wasn't quite good enough and that's okay. But it, it, it doesn't bother me that I ended up busting out of the tournament with my other entry, I, essentially three races later with Golden Pal. Right, you had a flukish incident with, again, my opinion, a starter that held on a little too long. Just look at the guy's body language. It says everything. It happens. It's horse racing. And uh, right, if you're the type that needs to be alive all the way to the end, no matter what, so you're saving your dollars, this is not the tournament for you. You have to strike when the time seems right. And I don't look back at the strikes I made. I just regret losing. I don't regret <laughs> spots. Look, well, yeah. I, and I, 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 go I, ahead, Marshall. Or Drew, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I want to jump in on something because, right, that dinner break, that's all it is. And um, Matt and I have had so many conversations learning from him on his strategy and his winning contest moves. And that's why I love these contests is because they become puzzles at the end of the day. Matt and I talked this morning, next year's BCBC is not going to be the same equation. It's not going to be $100,000 on a horse unless some horse catches the eye that says, yeah, this is going to be a, a generational type of horse. And so, Right. Whether it's day one or day two doesn't matter. It matters how you plot your strategy to increase your probability and, again, reduce the risk so that not everything has to go right or you have to sneak in a 25 to one shot underneath and pray to God that a horse gets pressed too hard or pushes wide or this and that. The variability in that is just too great. And so I, I just wanted to comment on the, the puzzle element that 
we, we can get into, but it's just always cool to see each, each BCBC is a unique one in a crossword, like every Sunday morning. I, I tell people every race tells its own story. I mean, every, no matter what kind of race you're betting guys, we've got some fascinating comments and questions in the chat that I've got to bring up. I, I want to first bring up Raymond Cromley. Raymond, thanks for joining the show. Uh, his point I'm pretty clearly, and Raymond, if, if, my, if, if I'm mistaking what you're trying to say, I'll let me know. But I think Raymond is suggesting don't make that bet because they're babies. Look, Victoria Road was one of my favorite bets of the entire day. Matt knows it. Drew knows it. Listen to my shows before. I love Victoria Road so much so that we'll talk about my double that would have given me about 25 grand on Friday. Victoria Road is a two-year-old in a turf race, first time in the U.S. breaking from the rail. I mean, but but he won. So, yes, two-year-olds are definitely more volatile. We'd all agree with that. But you, you have to see, you have to look at the race, and if Cave Rock breaks, he probably wins. I mean, we'll never know. I don't know. I mean, but to say that you just shouldn't be aggressive with two-year-olds, I think, is a little bit misguided, although, Raymond, I do appreciate your comment and understand what you're saying. Uh, this question's going to be for you, um, Marshall, if you don't mind. For all three guests from Nick Feldman, what percent of time bankroll is dedicated to tournament tournament play compared to normal play? On, on a week, on a, like an average basis or during the day? I, I think he's saying on an average basis. Like, you know, I'll play, I don't know, 8 to 10 to 12 tournaments a year. It's sort of hard to, you know, sort of compare the handle, handle numbers of, of – because, you know, if you have a good BCBC run, like, you know, like Drew did, Drew handled $150,000 on the BCBC, right? That's, that's no higher. Yeah, 228 or 282. 282. You handled 280. So, you know, that may be more it's than just he a bets all year. Yeah. Know. So Dude, that, you oh know, my that, God, that's going to be way more than that in like a couple years. Yeah. So, so, you know, the result of that is that, you know, it just really depends. I mean, I, you know, I, I, I would say that, uh, um, you know, I, I when I, tend to score my year out, I tend to treat the tournaments completely separate, right? Because it's just, it's a totally different exercise than betting, um, you know, than betting, you know, daily or betting, uh, betting in the weekend, betting on yeah. the weekend. One more question from Nick and Drew, I'm going to address this to you since you won this year. Um, handicapping wise, what is the most important piece for you? And maybe if you could use one tool, what do you use for handicapping, uh, Drew? I'm going to go with two because they're critically linked. One of which is time form pace figures, which you can find in DRI formulator yeah. and watch the replays. It makes all the difference in the world. It'll show you everything. And sometimes paces are coded neutral just because they're numbers. That's all they are at the end of the day. And if you see that a loan speed was tending hot fractions and carried on, well, you can make your own independent judgments and decisions. Yeah, Craig Molkowski does a fantastic job with time form. I'm d I've definitely paid a, a lot more attention to time form uh, in the last three or four years, except when it's except when it's turf races in New York, and I just throw all that crap out the window because I know they're going to go 50 and a half. Matt Miller, I know you have very specific ideas on how to handicap races in general. Would you like to share, sir? Yes, the two tools that I use for this would be, number one, it's kind of a two-parter. It would be um in your terminology smashing the subscribe button down below to two great <laughs> podcasts uh 
which are terrific sources of information, that being this and the In the Money uh, podcast. Uh, the second piece of information I need is an odds board that hopefully includes probables. And honestly, if I had nothing else, I could probably survive on that alone. You know, I'll, I'll throw in just a word and say, um, you know, some of these subscription services have gotten kind of interesting, uh, different views on those. Uh, clearly, the genius behind them is is there. Uh, it's more just a question of whether they're leading to too much groupthink or not. I'm personally not a fan of any of those. Wouldn't spend a dollar on them. They may be absolutely amazing, but for me, uh, the more people that are buying those things, the more dangerous they are, and I'd rather take a pass. Well, Matt, we always appreciate your support and your friendship. And as Kyle Rosk would say, I agree with you 100% about the HHH Racing Podcast. 100%. All right. All right. Um, all right, let's go on to uh, the next time. I'm gonna have Drew introduce the dog, but maybe uh, he's got to Maybe the dog. Uh, I, I, Drew, I'm gonna introduce the dog, but maybe the dog's not right for prime time yet. I don't know. But that's okay. Um, dog, okay. dog locks. Okay, no worries. All right, let's go on to the next topic, and this relates Marshall to something you tweeted out, which was fascinating. And this is very specific to Drew's win bet play uh, in the last race. We all know by now, unless you've been hiding underneath a rock. Uh, that Drew went all in on Flightline to win in the last race, 97,000 and change. Uh, some people out there on Twitter, and it was a fair question, and, and people, uh, Marshall didn't quite know the numbers, but obviously you knew the numbers or you calculated the numbers because that's part of what you do. <laughs> I have Rhodes College for people that don't know. Marshall, you could quickly talk about that too. I'm going to show something you tweeted out. Uh, the win bet versus the place bet on Flightline Marshall. And the first thing I'm going to show here, I know, I'm assuming you know what this is. Uh, actually, I'll let you explain what this is, Marshall. And also, before you explain what this is, if you could just briefly tell people one of the classes that you teach at uh, Rhodes College for people that don't know. So I, I teach the economics of racetrack wagering markets. I taught it last spring. And uh, one thing I am obsessed with is a tote board. Like Matt says, it's the most important piece of information out there. It should be this, you know, one of the big starting points. Uh, I guess, you know, ultimately handicap first, but really the board gives you so much information and tends to be uh, very astute. Now, what went, what went on in the uh, the Breeders' Cup Classic is that Flatline paid 288 to win and 292 to, 292 to place. So this was somewhat of an anomaly, right? The fact that the horse paid more to place than it did to win. This is because 58% of all bets to win were on Flatline, but only 38, 38% of the place pool. So, um, you know, Olympiad was a long shot, one of the longer priced horses in the field. And so any more conventional outcome in the place payout would have been smaller. Furthermore, if Drew bet his $97,000 to place, he would have dropped the payout on, on flight line, given Olympiad fishing second from 292 to 274, right? So this wasn't, it's not as simple. Remember that, that this is a parimutuel game. When you bet... $100,000, you changed the price, right? Drew changed the Drew, Drew changed the price in the wind pool by, what was it, four cents? Yeah, so from 292 to 288. So he shifted the price around. So if he bet the place, he would dramatically shift the price around because the place pool is a lot smaller. So, you know, either way, like, it, you know. Uh, and he would have lost also, correct? Yes. Yes. Is that right? The the play I didn't I didn't check those numbers. Matt, you know, Matt, I, go ahead. I know you did the numbers on that, Matt. Yeah. So just for 
you know, for everyone that wants to second guess so quickly, uh, do the math. I think he loses. He didn't win by that much. Well, and also, I, I don't know if you just mentioned that, Marshall, because I was clicking, but if he had bet the 97-189 to place, then his payout would have been 274 versus yeah. 292 on the win end. Uh, he, he... That's what you tweeted out. Or I, we, we, I, I love having a math genius here. For, with That's hardly it. Hardly it. Hardly a math genius, unless I'm doing it wrong. I, I still think I still think Drew wins. I still think it's oh, not. Okay. Um, I still think it's not enough to um, to slow him down, so to speak. It's, it needs to be a thirteen thousand dollar difference, Marshall. So yeah, one one thirty three is what you get to. So you still you still win. I'm looking, you know, like I look at the other. So you are the you made the largest bet on the last race. Uh, the fourth pl- the fourth largest bet was Sean Espino, who went all in the win on flat line. He went from 20th to 14th. The fifth largest is John Hewitt, who went all in the place on flat line. He went from 21st to um, 21st to 10th, but also hit a $50 exacta. So, you know, he got a little lucky, right, with the place payout. Um, but I, I, don't, I think that the, the difference in four cents, you know, didn't matter. And again, these guys were betting twenty grand, whereas you were coming in with nearly a hundred. Right? Uh, Marshall, a question from Jimmy Johnson. I'm assuming this is not the former NFL coach, but uh, is your class available online? Not, Marshall? not yet. I will. I am releasing. I did some interviews uh, as part of that class. Uh, uh, I had some guests that I interviewed. I'm pretty proud of the interviews I did, and I will be releasing them through the In the Money uh, Media Network. And the first will be coming out. Sunday, it's an interview with uh, figure maker Randy Moss. In fact, he was in Beijing uh, covering the Olympics when I talked to him about making speed figures. He was wow. in Beijing making speed figures for Oakland uh, while he was there. So, so I, uh, you know, I, I encourage you. Uh, in addition to the HHH pods, check my uh, my uh, uh, my interviews out on uh, look for them on Sundays. Absolutely, I heard you on the show. That this whole interviewing the the other side of the coin is not not quite as easy as you uh, realize in terms of trying to articulate your words, which is something that I've worked on, etc. So listen to Marshall; I'm sure they're going to be great. Matt, last question before we go on to the next segment: Is there a scenario in which you might go all in on the place, depending on the scenario, or is, can you never see a situation for you personally that you could even fathom doing that? in the last race of a contest. So uh, at a minimum, there would need to be penny uh, breakage before I'd even consider betting to place or show in a tournament like this. I I know there's a wide variety of opinions. I, I suppose there could be circumstances if I am just desperate to try to preserve every dollar possible for my strongest opinion in the next race and I have to get a minimum out of the way. Uh, maybe I could justify a show bet or something like that, but honestly, I'd, I'd still rather fire a daily double into my pick in the next race. I did a quick look just at the top 30 people. Um, there are, there were a whole bunch in the top 30 that bet place and show bets. Only out of all those people, and I didn't count how many of them there were, but there were a number of them, only five succeeded in actually protecting. They still lost money. So they think they're doing something so safe. Most of the people who are taking these safe actions 
are losing just as much money as those of us taking swings that are alive to real money payouts. And so, again, each to their own. I I don't want to try and tell, especially experts, you know, what to do. But I would just say, in general, my view very, very much remains. You are putting your money more at risk than you realize with every single play you make. You should get paid for it. And just look at the data. I'm not trying to pick on any individual. Go look. And by the way, that's the top 30. So you could imagine how much worse that went for the next 520. I can't imagine their record embedding show in place was any better than the people who did the best by the way for the record that you are an expert in contest play so let's not shortchange yourself sir um i think everyone on the screen would agree with that uh next topic drew let's get into the last race specifically and marshall i know you got a lot of stats and matt you've stats we're going to talk about some specific plays again these are just our opinions um for, for full um consideration for everyone everyone on this screen has won the bcbc and has accomplished much more than i have at this point uh if people are wondering why should i listen to howard's opinion when it comes to this just for full, full disclosure no i've not won a bcbc i have not won an hc um i did finish second this year in march in the ultimate betting challenge and won seventy-eight thousand. and the ultimate betting challenge is it's a major. It's right on. No, thank you. That's not. I wasn't doing that for applause purposes, but thank you. It's great. Pretty biggest score. It's pretty. It, it's so funny when I hear, you know, Drew, you went 550, like 78 seems like that. Ah. <laughs> anyway, it was great. Um, right right back there was my winning uh, $2,500 straight exacta express train over warrants yeah. in the San Anita handicap. Um, that got me to second. But anyway, um, I'm mentioning this so people just understand that I have had some success. People can completely ignore everything I'm saying. That's absolutely fine. Anyway, that was the score. I finished fifth in the Pegasus uh, this year, which is also considered a major. I won some other minor tournaments as well. And the bottom line, guys, is I've only been playing for about two and a half years in tournaments. I have a lot to learn. I'm getting better. I have a lot to thank to this guy right over here who's helped me a lot with strategy. Uh, and so, um, obviously, these three on the screen here, um, all the kudos and shout outs. I haven't even come close to what they've accomplished, but you know, we all have some pretty good idea of what we're saying. Uh, Drew, the last race, we're going to talk about plays. We all know what your play was. Here's my question for everyone, guys. If how should contest players have played this particular, this particular BCBC, if they're playing to win, if they're playing to win, which we've always said a lot of people were not. And they see your name, Drew, at the top with 97,000. Now, in fairness to you, Drew, you, you were a bit of an I, – I, people knew you threw in the money, but as a contest player, you were a bit of an unknown. I don't think anyone would have expected you to necessarily go all in on flight line. I think people would have figured, you know, maybe if they get to 110, 115, they're good. I don't know. But in general, Drew, and we'll talk about plays, what would you have expected people to do or what do you think people should have done if they are anywhere between, let's just say, 30 – even down to 20 and 60 and they're actually trying to win the damn thing. Yeah. Yeah. And again, it's like, what, what is their end goal? Because again, there's nothing wrong with taking a hundred dollars to the track and saying, Hey, I want to have fun all day. Right. And I'm going to lose it. And that's my entertainment budget. So I just want to clarify that. But, um, these look familiar, right? Drew? Yeah, they do. They do. And, and, <laughs> So those were $50 win tickets. That's the only way that could have been better. <laughs> oh my gosh. 
I we thank God there was 60 minutes because I started punching those in at 32 minutes to post. I think Matt, I turned to you and said, "This is this is it, right? Yeah, yeah." Like I, I, on Wednesday night, I talked to my mom, my mother-in-law, my father, and said, "By the way, my goal is to bet a hundred thousand dollars on flight line. That is the goal. Like, so if you see anything in the news about how a guy lost a hundred thousand dollars." Be aware. Here's the math, and here's why I was trying to do it. Um, but but to win anyone below that, to me, it feels like there was a math equation to be done of a flight line exact to Dutch over two or three that you like, especially with um, Jim uh, Vijak. Can you scroll down just a smidgen more? His name's right yeah. below. So we yeah. Got an Pro. yeah, uh Vidic. Fantastic gentleman. I talked to him. He qualified on Tuesday with $56 into a $500 last chance. And then blew him. Him. And by the and way, he, he handicapped the shit out of these races. Yeah. I mean, he I'll did just scroll through awesome. quickly. I mean, he, he crushed trifectas. I mean, he was fired right from the start. I love Jim. He's just firing. It, to be honest, I, I, I like the aggressiveness. I don't necessarily would have bet outside of the Breeders' Cup. That's all of our conversation. By the way, Jim, shout out to Jim. We can question some things maybe at the end, which which we'll do out of fairness to Jim. But look, guys, he finished second, and he actually crushed races on Friday with tries. There's a twenty-one thousand uh, dollar score. I mean, Drew, his handicapping was absolutely amazing. Yeah, it was it was unbelievable, and I think I think for him, again, like this is redboarding, obviously, but. If I were in his position with a, a meddling forty or fifty, which there was opportunities, like for instance, if if um, if Jackie's Warrior won, that changes a lot of my entire day because I had things going live to Jackie's Warrior that would have been a lesser amount, and I would have had to make difficult decisions. And so, I, I think it's a, a mathematical equation to get to 140. And how do I use all of the ammunition that Jim had at that point to to go in again? This guy, he did awesome though. So it's really hard to knock him to say, look, he's completely protected his position. He's going to finish in the top 20. He's going to get his NHCC. So to win it, it's, it's all in. I mean, that is it is to win is to push it all in. Um, but again, we're a, not only we know the results, so it's really easy to come here and comment. And I'm really looking forward to the next BCBC. I was talking with Matt this morning. My strategy is going to have to radically change because there's, it's not going to be, a linear pathway next year. I guarantee that because a hundred thousand dollar bet on one horse. I don't think we're ever going to see a horse like that again. And so there's going to be a bit more probably luck involved at the end and getting to that bankroll to hit the races that I hit in a row and sequential um, was staggering. And it was just a perfect day. So not only strategy, but handicapping aligned and, and something I think I've ta- told your viewers as well is right. There was no handicapping done in the day. I didn't even open a program except for my wife who got really invested in Nancy and was, was really digging into the past performances and trying to play her own mini contest, which is a fantastic way to get yourself involved without having to put up the money is take a hundred dollars at a big day, plot out a strategy, give yourself some fictitious minimums and say, this is what I'm trying to do. I mean, me, me, go grab the grade one gamble uh, 2022 rules and play it on a, a mini scale. And I'll be the first to admit I have busted over and over and over again 
but it's the proving ground so that when you get to this position, the decisions become a less, a little bit more easy. And, and, and Marshall, I loved your interview that you did with Peter Thomas Fornital was it was a guaranteed three to two if I did nothing more or less. And I, I think that's really stuck with me is, you know, it's always win, right? Win, 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 win. And if, and if this is my professional living, I don't know. Yeah. You know, to win it, that feels like a win if you, if that's your profession. So I think winning this thing is a very, means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. But if you're trying to take the title down and you're sitting at 40 or 50 um, to save any powder, it, it's a hard argument to say. Well, Matt and, and Marshall, this is what I want to talk about. And again, uh, this guy finished second, finished with 124,000 plus second place. He had th- what, 330 he cashed. That's 330,000 more than I cashed and more than you cashed, Matt. However, we have to be fair. These are public knowledge. I think we have to help people out going in the future. And I think that's part of the show that I want to convey is that, yes, there are different ways to play. But if you're playing to win and try to maximize your dollars, there is a specific way to play. Matt, I'll go to you first. Um, you can make the argument that you left the putt short a little bit. He got 4000 on, you know, that he lost. And he also didn't bet quite a bit of money. I mean, his handicapping was absolutely amazing. He has the 4-7 exact with Olympiad a bunch of times for a 2,000, right? He has the try. Now, you can argue we, we should get in dutching also, Marshall, because he didn't. you can dutch the try, too. I mean, obviously, the try with Taba in third is, is going to pay completely different than the try with, you know, Happy Saver in third. That's a whole other argument. We should talk about that, too. Matt, um, fair to say that he, along with many, many other people, did probably leave the puzzle short. Matt. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. There's a whole bunch. I mean, I look at the top 10. I'm not going to name names. Uh, There's some people that I want to just clap and say you did an amazing job. And there's some people I'd like to understand how badly you needed those, those dollars that you decided to put in your pocket rather than just press a little harder on what were amazing opinions that would have given you horse player glory, all kinds of money, super fun, right? Again, depending on one's goals. I I have just such a hard time believing that someone firing away at this thing to make top 10 is gonna then say, I don't care about winning. I, I, I am much more of the belief that people aren't necessarily sure of how to win. I spoke with a couple people at that tournament who did well. I asked them the simple question of what they were shooting for, and they didn't understand my question. They literally decided what to bet based on what they wanted to bet, not what result they thought it would get them. Right? That is evidence of people not playing the game. This is people betting at the racetrack like they bet at the racetrack. But this tournament is a very different animal. I would have wild respect for someone that said, my target was X and I hit it. And it turns out X was just short that some other person, you know, nailed something a little higher. And so I ended up getting second or third. Yeah, that's an amazing second or third. And I don't look at that as someone leaving a putt short, but you know, there are multiple people and I don't want to go by name, but I could go down this list for in some cases, incredibly small amounts of money cost themselves hundreds of thousands of dollars and lifelong dreams 
And I'd say, you know, to these people, just truly look at every bet you are making and ask yourself, what is the purpose of what I'm doing? If this hits, does this help me? Right. We have people that got a little spready at the end. And if they just stuck to I'm making up numbers because I want to mask who they are. Right. Someone put 90 percent of their money through one opinion and then 10 percent of their money they spread around. And if they just took the 10% and put it with the other 90, boom, they win. And you just ask, like, what did you think you were doing with that 10? Why didn't you play that on the side if you had some separate opinion or whatnot? And again, I recognize everyone's different. Not everyone has the same objective, the same means. But please understand, you are playing in a tournament that is being looked at like a game by people that are very desirous of winning this thing that will do anything and as you look at some of these people these are not people that would do anything and you realize how little a chance they had man i think this is what you're and correct me wrong man i think this is what you were referring to where someone just i mean unbelievable love the four seven exacta crushed it and then spent you know a little amount of money on some other bets that could have been spent on the four seven exacta and beaten yeah. drew and I'm glad I don't know who that is because I look at those picks and say that's, I mean, those are spectacular opinions. It's spectacular. But I just look at that 4-3, the 4-5, the 4-8. What did you think was happening? I mean, what did you think you were doing for yourself in the tournament? Why not just focus up? And, and by the way, if I'm reading that right, they left themselves with a fair amount of cash. Uh, so they didn't even bet their entire bank. So... Right. I'm just kind of puzzled looking at that. And yet the first thing I want to do is pat him on the back and say, oh, my gosh, like you just crushed that. So it's a big difference. It, it's a betting challenge. It's not a handicapping challenge. And we're looking at some amazing handicappers that, you know, some of them are pretty good betters. I would look at that last one and say, yeah, clearly a pretty good better. But yet in hindsight, probably wishes they did something a little different with that last bit. But. Now, obviously, who knew? Marshall, can you talk about Dutching a little bit for people who don't know what a Dutch is and how important it is to to bet different amounts based on the payouts to get the to get the equal result? Yeah, I mean, if, if the 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 payout on a on a, um, a flight line over epicenter exact is going to be a lot shorter than the payout the payout on a flight line Olympiad exact, and so you know if you're shooting for a particular number, try to get to 150 or 100. Right, they're going to have to be different size bets. So you know, there wasn't a lot of players, you know, ultimately dutching, and so it really the payouts really ultimately depended on, you know, for them which outcome came in. Um, there you know, it is, I, Marshall. If you want to talk about it, this, is a tweet you sent out. This is what the exacta and how people and there's no reason to bet the same amount on Hot Rod Charlie as Rich Strike and Exact. Just makes no sense. Yeah, and so like yeah, so so you know, again, we did have especially. You know, we talked about uh, Jim Vidich, who finished second. Uh, his his trifecta. He didn't he didn't dutch it. What he did is he played a try with uh, um, Life Is Good over Olympiad. Oh, and tossed. Uh, sorry, with Flatline over Olympiad. Tossed yeah. Life Is Good. Try to get a bomb in underneath. Got Taiba. You know, ultimately it didn't really hurt him because the the five uh, he it was a twenty five hundred dollar. It was five hundred dollar trifecta. Five different combinations for twenty five hundred. Uh, it paid $3,000 less than the exacta would have paid. I do, you know, I, I'm somewhat a little bit more forgiving of the second and third place finishers because 
to me, it's not as obvious that Drew would go all in. I mean, maybe it's easy for us to say now and knowing what Drew did, but I, I, the fact that, that he would necessarily move the bar up to 140, and I, I felt very confident, regardless of sort of what anyone would do, that you're getting that people would be coming from the clouds and you would have to get to 140 at the end, right? Yeah. Um, but I, I'm just not I, – I can be a little bit more forgiving at that. I also think that, you know, both the second and third place finisher would have still, you know, even though they didn't win, they picked up a lot of money and – by not by not going all in, right? They they still guaranteed themselves, you know, twelfth, thirteenth place finishes. I think there's some further down the line, and there's you know there's a player who had incredible insight into the classic. He he hit the exacta for five hundred dollars. He hit the try for five hundred dollars. Got fifty thousand back. So incredible insight into the race. Basically straight exacta, straight try, and then he had five thousand dollars unbet. $5,000 that probably didn't change anything, right? So it's $6,000 bankroll, hit the exacta for 500, hit the try for 500, left $5,000 on bet. Are you okay there, man? Yeah, but you see, that's that I think is a little bit more <laughs> more unforgivable than than the second and third place finisher. I, I want to, I do want to point out that that these are sort of the four people I thought really in the end played to win, and that was obviously Drew, right? Drew goes 97 in, uh, Sean Borman. Uh, bets a $32,000 straight try with Taiba, right? He wins with 166 grand. So he was clearly looking at what he needed to do. Scott McKeever, uh, who, uh, again, put all in. He didn't have enough with Flightline over Epicenter. So he played Flightline over Epicenter. That would have gotten him 66 grand. He bet 14000 on the Flightline over Epicenter. And then he played in third place, he played with, uh, they play tries with Taiba, Hot Rod, Charlie, and Rich Strike. So what's interesting to note is that if Epicenter runs and if it goes four, six, seven, Drew still win, right? Because um, Scotty would only have the classic. So, you know, Drew loses if it's four, one, and he loses if it's four, six, one, four, six, five, and four, six, eight. And then Thomas Coleman uh, made a $29,000 straight win bet on Epicenter. So, you know, those are those are plays that were plays to win. Serious right? balls. So, I love, so I love exactly. that. Exactly. And I, and I commend it. it. And they were going for it. Now, again, I, you know, we talked about this on the on our preview podcast is that, you know, 20, 30 grand is kind of a nice spot to be in to take a shot, right? It's getting up into the 40, 50, 60 to 100 range, which is a little bit more of a no man's land, right? So, um, and that's where, uh, you know, maybe a little bit hard to go in and, and, and have multiple opinions. Those people who had 50, 55, for example, is what the runner up had. He couldn't go all in on flatline because that wasn't going to catch Drew, right? So he had to, you know, make some, you know, I ultimately don't know where they made any calculations to predict where he would go, but. In, in doing so, you'd have to you'd have to project out what you want to do and then how much you might want to be left with, right? Drew, I want yeah, it's like Final Jeopardy, right? You talked about PTF mentioned. I actually mentioned it to Matt and Drew as we were walking out of the parking lot. You have to figure Drew's going to go all in on flight line and what would that be and what do you need to get to? And Matt, you've been telling me for since I've known you, I've been trying to tell people 140 is about what's going to win. And if you believe that, I mean, again, it happened again. Uh, Marshall, you won for one eight. Marshall, what was your winning total? Uh, 160, 162 okay. maybe. Okay. What, Drew, what, yeah, I don't remember. I, I, want, I want to give shout-outs to two people. 
Uh, Dave Chember absolutely rocked the crap out of the last race. Here's what he did at the end. I mean, look at these bets. Unbelievable. Four with seven. He had the exact, he had the try a whole bunch of times. Four with seven with one eight. He went from way down to the bottom. Won 94,000, Drew, in the last race to get to, what, fourth, I believe, right? And then people have mentioned uh, Vic Stoffer, who absolutely crushed the last race here. Here's his last race. I mean, pass off to Vic Stoffer with huge exactors and tries. I mean, Drew, even you know yourself finishing in first, I mean, if we're going to mention some shaky or questionable plays, we got to tip our hat to some people who absolutely crushed it, including like a guy like Sean Borman who didn't hit, but he had the balls to go, you know, with a with an exacto that would have won, and he lost the BCBC by what half a length is what it turned out because David didn't finish second. Yeah, no, <clears throat> it's unbelievable play. I don't know what he had as a bankroll if it was only seventy five hundred or if he had more, but I mean that's kind of what you got to do. Um, to be frank, I mean if I had seventy six hundred dollars. You know, there's a there's a point in the in a contest too where you got to pack up your ball and go home. I I love Matt shaking his head no, but <laughs> no, I'm kind of with you. I mean that I I'm I'm shaking my head looking at those picks saying I mean that's I don't I couldn't do that. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, tip of the hat to him because I couldn't do it. I don't think I could. I mean, it, it's if I had ten or fifteen thousand, it's probably like a Hey, it's going to take a miracle trifecta to hit. And, you know, we're highlighting people who hit their trifectas, you know, hats off to them. They scored amazing. But the play and the contest strategies that have been crafted, my play isn't aligned to hitting insane things for large payouts at low probability. Yeah. And we also saw, Matt, we also saw the, the venerable all, all, all try. Dude, I'm sorry, however that is. Like, I'm sorry. What 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 are you doing? I mean, yeah, I, again, yeah. I finished with zero everyone, two entries. If you want to give me crap and say how are you know what you're talking about because you lost, that's fine. I'll take it. But seriously, Matt, I mean at so all. How much did how much did it cost and how much did it pay? I did, I forgot to look up that up. So let's just take two seconds out. Who cares? Would be my I do. Just ask yourself the question. If Flightline wins the race, uh, how much could the trifecta possibly pay? And the answer is nowhere close to the cost of the bet. And so, look, if you want to root for chaos and if you want crazy things to happen and be exposed to something wild, there's still a way to be smarter about that. And I think at a minimum, you have to take Flightline out of the first and second position you probably have to take epicenter off the first position, but you—I mean—you could structure a ticket that exposes you to the biggest payouts. But all, all, all—that I, I, doesn't do it for me. That makes no sense. Sorry, Marshall. Should I, should I dare ask you? Oh, instead of that, Mar is there any other bets? Again, well, this is an educational I mean, show. Are there the, other, thing, other things you saw, Marshall, that you yeah, want to comment? That I mean, I mean, there were some. There was someone. There, there were some box show wagers. Uh, which we'll get which, to you, Matt. Matt's like, like uh, the kid in my class who like can't raise his hand and has to like just talk out. Go, hold on, Matt, I mean, we'll there are 11 you. horse exacta boxes. There was a lot of <laughs> you know, I do think there was a lot 
of people who spread way too much. And I think this contest almost requires you to be more narrow than you might be on a regular betting day. But if, if you're, if you're, if you're, I don't know how to say this without, if you spread as much as, as, as some of the, as, as some of, um, some of these plays on a day-to-day basis, you're going to go broke. I mean, you can't be as spready, you know, you can't have, you know, these huge exacta boxes or these huge tri wheels hoping for chaos. And when the chaos, you know, when the chaos comes in, you hit and you get two to one back, that's not really moving the ball. And that's not just, not just for this contest, right? If you're playing on a day by day, day basis, you're getting destroyed by the takeout, right? So it's, it's, um, there's a lot of betting behavior that, that make no sense for the contest and even worse makes no sense on a day by day basis. Yeah. Uh, Matt, before I let you comment, um, oh, I just lost my train of thought. All right, go ahead and comment. I was going to say something. I can't recall what it is. Go ahead, Matt. You were begging to say something. Well, and, and look on the topic of having two entries, there you go on the bottom mat. There's information on the bottom mat. The all all would have cost three thirty six at eight eighty two. Yeah. Okay, you, you hit the try in the classic. Nice job. Um. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the end of my pocket. <laughs> I, I would I would say uh, there was one player in particular in this tournament that uh, left me with a head scratching experience more than any other. It's a very public figure, so I don't mind calling out Dave Portnoy. The guy built up a stunning, stunning day one total. I think he had like 60 grand on two different entries. And I think he built them separately. I don't even think they were like the same hits over and over. I think he just had a massive, amazing day. I think it was second and third in the in the standings after day one, or third and fourth, like something something unbelievable. unbelievable. We looked at each other, Matt. I was like, holy crap. So here's the outrageous statement I'll make. If you put those two entries in the hands of one of the 50 or so sharks in this tournament, it's over. It's impossible to lose, almost. And so look at the plays that happen the next day, and it is a masterclass in what not to do when you have two entries in a tournament like this. I, I couldn't draw up a better example. By the way, he was exposed to multiple great horses, any of which could have hit, and he would. I mean, some of these were so overbet that he would have demolished this tournament, you know, multiple times over. So he definitely had his chances. He didn't squander the money necessarily, but again, from a money management standpoint, and if you want to talk about leveraging entries to, you know, help each. You know, again, I'm not trying to suggest something illegal, but there's certain ways you can protect yourself. You know, Drew, I'm looking right at you, and you should be immediately thinking of the distaff. It, it, it's, you know, it would be the perfect opportunity, right? I asked you about who you liked in that race. You like three horses. The one you like second most, you couldn't afford, so you threw it out. That was it. It's not that you like the other one more, it's you couldn't afford it. And yet, if you had 60 grand on two entries, that would have been the easiest ever to do. Yeah. To have one go to the moon and have one go home, and yeah, and, and to the point of in the point of couldn't afford it, I could bet the horse, but it wasn't going to achieve and move the ball forward like we, like what the targets are going to be and what we as contest players need to achieve. I right? could definitely do it and feel good about it, but I'm going to go maybe one point two five 
advance instead of, I think the final number was like two and a quarter uh, for my bankroll. So, right, it, it wasn't so much of a couldn't afford it, but making the smart play. How do we, as contest players, move that ball forward? Before we talk about our plays, guys, I want to mention something, some little digging that I did that I thought was interesting. The Breeders' Cup this year for the two days in general is pretty chalky. We all know what happened. Caraval was by far the largest win bet, our winning price. Caraval paid 42.89 to one. And I know some people that spread in that race hoping to get a price, and they did. And they doubled to, they linked to Cody's Witch, who we'll talk about Cody's Witch some other time. Not only was it an unbelievable story, you know, the side story, a lot of people needed Cody's Wish uh, to win, as it turned out. Um, I was not one of them. I was on the Cyberknife team. But anyway, the question, Marshall, I have for you, um, I want you to talk about the pick one, Marshall, your famous pick one bet that I've heard you talk about, especially for inexperienced handicappers, number one. And the reason I want you to talk about the pick one bet is because other than Caraval, the largest uh, winning horse on the Bre- of the Breeders' Cup races was uh, Mischief Magic on Friday, 6.92 to one. After that, it was uh, Regal uh, Romance at 5.96 to 1. My point is there were not a lot of big prices on the win end. You don't need big prices to win well, money in anything. But you know, I, I'm going to disagree with you a little. I didn't, okay. you know, I, I think that you sit through that Breeders' Cup, and I don't think it's, of it is chalky. Like, I don't like, not, we, no like, like we, we had Golden Pal go down at well, less than even money. We had no Cave Rock go down at less than even money. We had Nest, who is a big favorite, go down. So, like, I, I'm not, I get that we didn't have any crazy bombs come in, but I don't think that this is an easy Breeders' Cup. And I, I, I also, you know, um, I do, you know, the Portnoy, the Portnoy decisions are, are, are tricky in that you all had very strong opinions that Flatline would win the Classic, and that's the position where you you knew you could you know get one and a half times back. And so if you were of a different opinion, I, you know, it's it's he tried to win it early, and he tried to win it with Highfield Princess, um, and I, I guess I somewhat commend that. I don't think that's that crazy of a play. Um, you know, there are, I think it is also tricky in terms of figuring out where to double up. Like I would have thought, you know, maybe even the Breeders' Cup turf sprint was a place to double up because you have either Highfield Princess or Golden Pal, but you'd have been blown out, right? So it is, you know, I I don't know. I'm, I'm a little bit less, you know, I said this on on um, Pete's pod. I, I think Portnoy is going to win a, a BCBC in the next five years. Um, uh, so, I, you know, I, I do think that, that you know, he – he shot the moon, but he's put some, he put himself in a good position. And, and I don't, you know, he kept firing. It's just wrong. Right. Just fell apart for him. I guess much of my overall, you're right. It wasn't necessarily chalky. I guess my point is you don't have to have huge prices to, to do well on any day, whether it's the BCBC or just a, a Thursday you're buying Oakland is my point. Yeah. I mean, I like, I, you know, I don't, I, I, I would like a, a three to one horse that I can, key around and use everywhere and use on top of tries. I think that's wonderful, you know, to be able to do that. I mean, I, I went into the classic and I played $2,500 worth of supers, right? Very, very narrow supers because when Flatland won the Pacific classic, his, the super paid 16 to one. So it pays 167 for 10 cents sounds terrible to people, but it was effectively 15, 16 to one. I'm like, Hey, right. It went favorite, second favorite, third favorite, fourth favorite in the in the Pacific Classic, and I crushed that race. 
right? So, you know, again, I need an epicenter to get on the board, but, you know, I, I don't, I think that if you can figure out ways to craft bets that can move the ball in this and you don't have to, you don't have to hit bombs, right? You just have yeah. to be smart about your, the way you, you bet it. Go ahead, Matt. Well, and even if, even if there are lower priced horses winning, and I agree with Marshall, this didn't, I wouldn't say this felt chalky. It just wasn't a bunch of crazy long shots either. Mm-hmm. Uh, in tournament play, and I'm going back to having two entries, I do think most of the general public is missing out on the power of the daily double. If you can get alive to a decent will pay in the second half of a double, your strategy on your second entry should go flying out the window and you should be figuring out what to do relative to the score you're about to make or not make depending on how the race goes and i think a lot of people play their two entries as if they are owned by two completely different people that don't know each other and the reality is you've got a nice opportunity i'm not saying dutch these whole fields that's kind of crazy so it's funny you want to want to keep picking on dave portnoy if he had gone all in on one entry with highfield princess and all in with golden pal on the other i'd shut up right now I'd say, okay, I get it. Uh, you picked the wrong race for that. By the way, there were a bunch of races that would have been the wrong race for that. So it was a tough day. I, I would have had full respect for that. It's the fact that you play the two with apparently no relationship to one another. You can definitely use these doubles. Right? There's nice leverage in them. Use them if you hit the first half. Use that other entry. I, I do think people are missing something on the, the money management side of things. Guys, let's end this conversation by talking about my plays a little bit, because again, I zeroed out on both entries. It was not a good weekend for me uh, with the BCBC stuff happens. Uh, I haven't really shown it. I mean, it's out in the public, but I haven't showed it on my podcast. Drew, I'm going to let you comment first. Here was my general strategy. Uh, and please tell me your honest opinion of my strategy. Um, I had certain horses I liked, and I decided I was going to be very aggressive on one entry on Friday, and I went all in, and I'll show you. And with the other entry, the horses I liked the most, I was going to play less aggressively and also play with some tries uh, and exactas in second and third, um, like a Pleasant Passage, for example, or some other horses that I uh, liked um, atomically who didn't end up doing well in the Breeders' Cup Philly dirt race. So I'm going to show you, this is my... Uh, I had two entries. This is my first entry. It's not going to take long, Drew. <laughs> it's one page. It's right there. Um, you see you see some doubles. I'm not going to go through a lot of details here. But my strong yeah. opinion, race nine, uh, you could see here, um, was doubles Cave Rock into um, Victoria Road for 1,000. And the other 5,300 was Cave Rock uh, to... Um, Boy, I'm drawing Blake now. Silver Knot. Of course, I came in second. I'm sorry. Who was it? Silver Knot. Yeah, Silver Knot. Thank you. So, so Drew, I went for it. Um, I loved Victoria Road. Um, I liked Silver Knot. I I thought it was down to those two. I absolutely smashed that race, obviously. K-Rock didn't win. Drew, if you would have, someone would have told me, Howard, you're going to have 25,000 on one entry going into Saturday if K-Rock wins. I don't know. I would have taken it, Drew. Yeah, in in there, there's a balance of aggression and risk management, and and for me, how, how I played my entry 
was was a bit like you got to dance on your toes a little bit to get to get momentum. And so I saw a couple folks, a lot of people get just super, super aggressive saying this goes right. I'm done. Um, and so, right. I, I think I had 2,500 on a high field princess on Saturday, but still gave myself an out with Cody's wish into, um, into Tuesday that gave ammunition. So to, to me, it's, it's a balance of like, right. You're not betting a hundred thousand on the first race and nor again, it depends on what your goals are in the, in the way of, getting to your targets along the way of the contest to achieve the 140. I mean, is there any spot in the card that you loved more otherwise than yes, that is the right move. So it's really hard to handicap the situation. If that was like everything you had. Okay. I'm, I'm fine with it. Weren't you spooked my, my though? Main, my main, my main thoughts on the weekend. And this is just, of course just my own personal handicapping. The worst I loved the most, I wanted to work around was Cave Rock and Victoria Road. I mean, obviously. I also like Pleasant Passage quite a bit, um, who finished second to meditate. And in hindsight, I should have played that exacta, but I didn't. That was a mistake, obviously. I should have left something more with Victoria Road to win or an exacta um, with Silver Knot. I didn't play that enough. Um, the other, on Saturday, my main opinions were Golden Pal, lost. Jackie's Warrior, lost and i really like cyberknife who lost by a head uh again absolutely was not my day clearly um i'll show you guys my other entry so my other entry very quickly before, before is, we get to that i'm just curious marshall what was your question on that well i mean you look the um uh howard so you didn't like the the double was five to two right and like to me and I, I liked your play, right? And I thought about it. It was the same play that Jonathan had talked about. But Cave Rock opening up at two to five is what would have, you know, ultimately spooked me, right? And so you had Cave Rock at two to five. And so you, the double was only paying five to two. And I'm wondering at, at what point do you say, hey, this is not the right price. I need to I need to think about doing something else. Or or were you that confident in your in your in the two horses that that you just were basically wanting to move the ball down the field. I think that's what it was, Marshall. I, I really felt good about the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Turf. And I wasn't as concerned whether I was going to get up to 17,000 or 20,000 at that point. And I just had made, I also want everyone to know, because I guess uh, Cave Rock acted up in the tunnel and apparently didn't look great on the track, you understand. I was actually um, right, I was at the paddock, I was right in the walking ring or not in. I was right next to the walking ring. Matt knows where we were in Drew. Um, Cave Rock looked absolutely fine in the walking ring. Apparently, he got spooked a little bit going through the tunnel, Marshall. And I will say it was really windy. Not only was it windy, but the wind was blowing right into them through the tunnel, which I guess apparently caused Cave Rock to act up. Act up, And I guess he was a little bit goofy on the track. I didn't see that. Maybe that, I guess that's my mistake. I, I don't know, but Again, if he wins, I'm like, why am I reacting to him? Maybe acting a little bit anxious on the track. I mean, he's a two-year-old. I don't know. I, I, the price didn't scare me enough, Marshall, and I was sort of set for better or for worse. To answer your question, um, in, in terms of my, in terms of my other entry, just very quickly, and then we'll close out the show, guys. As you can see, I'll go full screen. I, I did a lot of wins and try bets on the horses that I liked the most, 
they didn't come in for various reasons. Like I just couldn't get third, whatever. And then here's my plays on Saturday where I went much more aggressively. I win bets. I had, you know, big doubles, as you can see. Um, this is a Jackie's Warrior in, into Cyberknife. They're the race four to race five. And my day basically ended with big doubles with Cyberknife all over the place into other things. And just didn't work out. So, um, Matt, I'm going to go to you because last year was my first Breeders' Cup uh, betting challenge. And I learned a lot from you. Even though I zeroed out this year, I felt like I actually played better. I zeroed in my opinions. I was very aggressive. If I had balls last year and I hit up Drew and Marshall, so you guys know, I had a $2,500 double last year. Life is good to love's only you, which gave me 25000 at the time. And the next race, as Matt knows, was Aloha West, who I liked. And if I had guts Drew, I would have saved or spent like 1000 on that double. I could have legit last year, Matt, been up to like fifty five, sixty thousand 60000 with like three or four races left and have a legit chance to win the whole freaking thing. Um, I'd have the guts to do it. This year, at least I had the balls and, and had the conviction to do what I wanted. The handicap didn't just work out, Matt. So I'm fine with my plays this year. I really am. Uh, any thoughts? And again, any of you want to criticize my plays, feel free. So I, I looked at you last year in your elation as you're talking about now I'm going to go home with 10 grand no matter what. <laughs> and I, I said, and I said to you, we're going to come back to this moment later. And, you know, later on, a little nicer than I'm saying it now, I said, you know, that was the moment you lost, right? I mean, the, the minute you're taking ammunition out of your gun in the middle of a gunfight, you've got a problem. Um, look, your plays this year, if I'm going to get a little pick, if I'm betting picky, I didn't look at the exact dollar amounts. I know your back wheels of tries and things like that. I just don't know if doing the math, those if, if those work out to be too spready or not. That's my only instant reaction to criticism. But I do feel that knowing what your opinions were, you did get your money in on your main plays. I do see a comment from Nick, which I know it's from DJ underscore. Uh, who was it? One of them, these guys said, did you consider just betting Victoria Road to win? And I think that's a fair question now. Um, I did bet him a little bit. I didn't. I bet him went on the side because um, I was out of one. I could have bet him on the other. I think I bet him on the other to win a little bit, but clearly not enough. But again, easy to say after the fact. Right. Well, you had you you had look at the will pay. Look at the probable to see what you know. Were you getting a good price or not? But it, it, it's at least a fair question to look back and question yourself. Yeah. That's fair. Well, you you had way more money through Silver Knot though. Uh, are you talking about the exact the the uh, double? It was Dutch though, Marshall. So, but I yeah, okay, the same amount. But you preferred Victoria Road. Um, I suppose, but I, but uh, yeah, <laughs> well, you just bet Victoria Road and went on the side, yeah. so yeah, you preferred. So if, sure, yes, you preferred yes. Victoria Road than than. It doesn't but, matter. I thought Silver, lost, but if no, you no, like I, I Victoria thought Silver Road, you, you, win, though, Marshall. I thought Silver huh? was very. I thought Silver Knot could absolutely win. I mean, I just yeah, but they were to. they were. It, it doesn't matter. Cave Rock lost, but if you like Victoria Road better, and you Victoria Road was five to one, and and uh, Silver Knot was like, you know, I you dutched them, but 
if you like Victoria Road better, you should have had you should have ensured yourself a better payoff in Victoria Road one, right? So that's the only thing that I would do differently. Or just better, or save my bet her to win. Well, I mean that, that right. that's easy to say. Well, since, exacta, whatever. It's, it's easy to say since K Brock lost, and and I don't, you know, given that you're, I don't, I don't see any reason to need to leverage. If you like Victoria Road, I don't see a reason to leverage it through a two to five shot, right? I just don't, I don't think you're going to get that much leverage by doing that. So might as well, if you like that horse, bet it to win. Your betting doesn't show that because you bet both horses and you touch them, right? And yeah. you want your betting to reflect your opinion. And I would, you know, the other thing I see that I would echo is I just am not sure kind of the, your tries are a little bit too bulky, right? Yeah. Kind of, kind of what I, I would, what, what I would do. I would, um, you know, look, the runner up did the same thing and, yeah, and, he, did. He, tries and, and he caught right. some really long shots in third, but I do think in the long run, that's not, that's not a great it, it's probably not a great long run strategy to pray and hope some something big comes in third, right? I, I, you know, I'd rather have a, a more concerted strategy, but that's just me. I mean, that's that, and that's us being picky Nuts. at the at the end of a eighty minute <laughs> talk. But I, you know, I think I think um, otherwise there's a lot more, way more egregious stuff by other people on here. So just you know, if, if I were being picky, that's what I would say. Drew, no, I'm asking for criticism, so feel fire away. Go ahead, Drew. And, and what, one thing too, a tip is to use Odds Checker. I think it is. They have um, you have to go to the international markets because they are a Euro-based tote yeah. company that'll aggregate all the prices. So that if you were looking at that, I think you could have said, "Hey, look, I'm going to bet all my money through Cave Rock into, or part of my money, Cave Rock into Silver Knot to get the five to two because those prices just aren't going to pay out and I can take advantage of the probable or the, the, the double pool and then save some of that money to go on silver, Knot, knowing that silver, Knot, based on odds checker prices, we're going to be about five to one, four to one. I imagine they were hammering that horse a little bit more over there. So maybe that's one way to look at it as well. If you were dead set on dutching is to take some of the risk and probability out of it, especially with, yeah. with, I actually did not bet a dime on the other entry on Victoria Road. That was a mistake, clearly. Uh, but anyway, Matt, final thoughts on my player. Just play in general if you have two entries um, to, to be more aggressive with one and maybe a little you know, minimums on the other. Save some powder for the next, for the next day if it doesn't work out for you. Uh, it's, for me, it's not as much as the next day. It's just the next big pick. But again, I am perfectly willing to throw the plan out the window if all of a sudden I'm alive to a lot of money. That, that changes things. And for a tournament like this, I'm willing, I'm willing to let one entry take a bit of a hit uh, to benefit the other to some extent at least. You know, it's funny. I'm looking in your comments, and I want to get to a question that Victor asked about uh, other tournaments. So just very quickly, um, Naira Betts has pretty much weekly cash tournaments that are pretty low dollar denomination that are live money like this. It's not huge dollars that you win, but they are good practice. Express Bet has a few too, but actually the better recommendation I'm going to give you, and Drew touched on it before, it's something that he and I have been talking about for the better part of two years. It's on any given day, create your own little mini tournament. I know, and I might have even said it on this podcast before, where people that go to the racetrack just thinking, I'm going to fire away like crazy and hit everything and make as much money as possible. It's not realistic. 
And if you go to the track with 500 bucks, and if I said to you, would you be happy to leave with 1500? If the answer to that is yes, create a mini tournament for yourself. 500 bucks is your entry fee. And in your opinion, 1500 is the winning amount. I absolutely guarantee you will get to 1500 more often playing it the way we are talking about here than whatever way you would have done it normally on your own. When you get all focused up and you get goal oriented, it totally changes the way you play. So you don't even need it to be one of these tournaments. Although they are a lot of fun and they're, you know, it is cool competing with other people and the game theory parts are neat, but you don't even need it. Just create your own. Drew will fully attest the validity of what I'm talking about. Yeah, Drew, absolutely. Drew and Marshall, mm-hmm. any final thoughts before we wrap up about people daily play, not spreading as much, you know, focusing more on your stronger opinion, just anything in general. That either no, uh, my only last comment is I owe a lot to Marshall and Matt. I mean, without these two guys, I'm not here. So hands off to you too. Marshall, final thoughts? <laughs> that Thanks, says it all I, right there. Huh? I appreciate it. It's, 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 it's great to, you know, hang out and, and uh, be a part of this uh, illustrious panel, right? Uh, um, and uh, no, I don't have any, like, big advice. Again, I, I, would, I, I do think that the one thing this contest teaches you is it is a lot more about betting than handicapping. And I think that, that in our day-to-day play, people should remember that they should think a lot more you know what i what my goal in this contest was was to be done handicapping by wednesday because at that point you have the you know the the pps are out the everything's drawn up you got all the last works are in and then just think about how i want to bet right not only for this contest how i want to bet in cash you know and, and kind of work my way out in different scenarios so sort of all i did you know for the fa- final three or four days is is how I'm going to bet these races. Because, you know, the, the handicapping at that point is done, right? There's no more handicapping I needed to do. I'm, I'm sort of, every everyone has exhausted themselves of these races. So, um, you know, not much is going to change. So. Listen, I appreciate all your guys' insight and the time you spent with us here almost an hour and a half. Sorry, went a little bit longer. We had a lot of questions. Thank you for all the viewers out there for all the questions. Um, Matt, Drew, and Marshall, when you see this come up on YouTube in about 15 minutes, just anytime the next week, two weeks, month, if you see people ask questions below the video player, that's what I recommend for everyone out there. If we didn't get to your question, ask questions below the video player. I'd appreciate Matt Marshall, Drew, if you have any time at all next month or so, just occasionally look at this episode, maybe answer some people's questions that they have. And we're all learning. Listen, I'm learning. I've been handicapping, handicapping for 35 years and betting. I still have things to learn in the contest, obviously. I think Matt, Drew, and Marshall might say, hey, I, I'm learning something new every time I play this tournament. How You have to zig and zag. Maybe people might play completely different next year, as Drew mentioned, at Santa Anita, and we're all uh, going to be on Marshall. I don't know if Marshall will be there, but I know Matt, Drew, and I will be sitting at the same table again. I'll be there. I'll be there. I'm coming. I'm coming oh, out to I'm coming Oh, out there out we go. Anita. Wow. I'm there. I'm BC, BC Posse has grown, Matt and Drew. I love it. And uh, we'll beat the NHC also, right, Marshall, or no? NHC, right? Hell yeah. Okay. I'll be there. Which is, by the way, completely different. And this is why we all love the BCBC format. Because you don't go to the track and bet $2 and win in place. Most people don't, right? So I'm not discounting the importance of the NHC. It's a great tournament. But I think we all would agree the the BCBC is the bee's knees, right? It absolutely is. And as much as I enjoy the NHC, 
The difference is I don't walk into that event thinking I have a great chance of winning. And while I certainly don't win every time, I do walk into the track on a normal day thinking I've got a good chance. And you know that's kind of the big difference is if you have a big day on BCBC day, it's a really big day. Uh, the odds of being able to accomplish that at the NHC just aren't quite the same you know, if you're really a, a better. Yeah. And so, yeah, this is it for us. Yeah. All right, well, guys, high screw. I'm sorry, Marshall, did you want to say something? No, the NHC's great because it's a horse players convention, but otherwise it's a total crapshoot. So I'm, you know, I love meeting people and seeing everyone there and going to dinners and being in Las Vegas. But I mean, it's, uh, you know, trying to determine the winner out of 53 two dollar win place show bets really challenging. It doesn't doesn't fit what I do. Put it. Yeah, and maybe have some surprise pizza delivered to your table, right, Matt Miller? Yeah, by Joe the Pizza Guy. You know, I am going to make one other comment based right. on a a comment that I saw earlier in the chat, which is. I do think one should seriously question if one is trying to qualify for the BCBC by winning a $2 win in place mythical contest. Those are, these are wildly different things. Being good at one actually, in my opinion, might make you worse at the other on some level. I know that's an outrageous statement, but so I, the fact that you could be good at those and qualify for this, uh, I would really look at what prize you're planned for because I would say you, you should be targeting the NHC, honestly, if that's what you're good at. Well, Matt, Drew, and Marshall, we appreciate all your insight. I hope you guys will, uh, if not live on the chat, at least watch Thursday's show as a replay because I cannot wait to hear what people have to say about where they put Flightline uh, in the uh, the upper echelon of horse racing. I know Drew, uh, for obvious reasons, thinks extremely high of flight line, but there are some things I think we need to put in perspective. We're going to talk about that on Thursday, guys, with Tom Law, Jay Pridman, and my uh, co-host as well. So to Matt, Marshall, Drew, the champs of 20 through 22 of the BCBC, thanks a lot. Tip my hat, guys. All, congrats to all you guys. Look forward to having you. This has been a lot of fun. Again, we'll look forward to having you on again at some handicapping uh, show. Really appreciate it, guys. For all of them, this has been your host, Howard Kravitz, episode 205 of the HHH Racing Podcast. Again, join us live Thursday, 8 p.m. Eastern, to talk about the great flight line. Have a wonderful night, everyone. Take care. Bye-bye.